What's up, Saw Company? How you guys doing? I love that. Good to see you guys. If I'm a new face to you, let me introduce myself. My name is Jordan Howell. Work on staff here with Salt Company. Uh, got a picture of my family for you. Make you go ooh and ah. It's definitely not going to be me. Picture? Maybe? No? Oh. Yeah, everybody's really disappointed. Um, we'll come back to it. I'll introduce myself in the meantime. My name's Jordan. I've lived in Cedar Rapids two and a half years. This is God's country, whether you know it or not. Uh, it's an amazing place. I've been married just shy of five years to my beautiful bride, Ellie. We have two boys, Blaze and Leo. Uh, they are... Look at that. Look at that. Okay, Blaze is on my shoulders. He's two. Leo is being held by my wife, Ellie. And men, she is a smoke show, and she's taken... Stop looking at her, okay? Uh, yeah, it's my great family. Things we love doing, sports, fitness, traveling, food. We also enjoy fitness so we can enjoy food, and we enjoy traveling so we can enjoy food. Anybody with me? Yeah. Love it. Love it. Well, a little bit of an unorthodox start. I kind of want to set the foundation because I know beginning of the semester, there's some people that are coming back, and you're like, hey, this is my... 15th Salt Company. And then there's people that are coming, you're like, oh, this is the first time I've ever been here, and I'm trying to figure out what this thing is all about. And so I kind of want to lay the foundation for you guys. Who is Salt Company? What do we do? Why do we do it this way? So three simple statements. If you're a note taker, you can write these down. If you don't want to take notes, I get it. I just want you to kind of know who we are and what we do. So statement number one, we are a family not an event, okay? Here's what I mean when I say we're a family, not an event. This is so much more than a Thursday night. This is not a Thursday night that's put on by staff. That's not what Salt Company is. It's actually a family that is knit together and is student-led. So we do uh, what you will come to know as connection groups, meaning we gather, sure, on Thursday nights, we sing praises to God, sit under the teaching of the Bible, but we actually value doing life in community more than that. And so if you are coming and you're visiting, we're glad you're visiting. Uh, we want you to feel like you can come here to try things out and figure out what we're about. But if you actually want a full Salt Company experience, my challenge and encouragement to you is jump into a connection group because this is about doing life together in community. Uh, we want to be like Paul says to the Thessalonians, people that not only share the gospel, but share our very lives. That's what we're about here at Salt Company. Uh, which leads me into uh, my next point. We value forever more than semesters. We value forever more than semesters. Here, here's what I mean when I say that. Our church here at Veritas, we love the next generation. And we look at the ages of 18 to 22 and we say, these are very pivotal and crucial years in your life where you get to figure out what your worldview is, who you are, who God is, what his plan for your life is. And we want to say, we're going to invest in you with that. And we want to prioritize 18 to 22. But we also understand that four years is not a long time. What's longer than that is the rest of your life, right? We want to set you up on a trajectory to know, love, and follow Jesus for the rest of your life. 
We care more about you as a 40-year-old, 60-year-old, and 80-year-old than we do as a 20-year-old. And that means we exist within a local church. If there is no Veritas Church, there is no Salt Company. Okay? Here's the deal. In Ephesians 3.10, the Bible tells us that it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is put on display. And Salt Company is not the church. If you look across this room, you are all a bunch of people that are in a similar stage and season of life, and when you start to think about diversity, there's not a lot of diversity in and amongst you. But if you are a part of the local church and you get to see more diversity, people from different socioeconomic status, people of different races, people of certainly different ages from 8 to 88, you get to see that there is something beautiful about the church that God is building. And there is unity even amongst a bunch of people that you would look at from the outside and say they have nothing in common. It's Jesus Christ. And that is the bride that Christ laid his life down for, the church. And so, when I say we value forever more than semesters, my challenge to you is get plugged into a local church. If you can only pick one thing to commit to, whether it be a Thursday night or a Sunday morning, I'm telling you, choose Sunday morning. And if you love Salt Company here, you are going to love Veritas even more. It's a bigger and more beautiful expression than what we do here uh, tonight. And actually, coming at you, this Sunday, if you come to Veritas Church, we have three services, 8, 9, 30, and 11. The first 50 students that come up to us are going to get free Chick-fil-A, okay? So we're going to incentivize your first visit, and I am convinced, even if you come for Chick-fil-A on the first service, what's going to keep you coming back is the people. So uh, we, we value forever more than semesters, and lastly, we take Jesus seriously, not ourselves. We take Jesus seriously, not ourselves. We love the Bible. Uh, we live for Jesus, and we actually long for the world around us to know him. That's a really big deal. It's a huge task in front of us. But we also understand that we have nothing to prove and nobody to impress. We're very average, ordinary people, okay? So as you think about who we are at Salt Company, all the way from staff to people leading worship to student leaders, just understand we're imperfect and we're okay with that. We're an ordinary people following an extraordinary God. Text that comes to mind for me, Acts 4.13, people are looking at uh, Peter and John, Jesus' disciples, and they say, man, they could see that they were uneducated, ordinary men who had been with Jesus. I hope that's what's said of us, right? Maybe a little bit more educated, but ordinary people who have been with Jesus. I hope that's what's said of us here at Salt Company. And let's be real. We want to have a lot of fun doing it, right? Can I get an amen to that? Yes, following Jesus is meant to be fun, so we're going to have a lot of fun along the way. Uh, that's who we are at Salt Company, excited to, to live and grow alongside you guys all this semester. But one of the primary things we are here to do is open our Bibles. We're going to get there. Uh, we here at Salt Company believe that the Bible is inspired by God. It is God's way of speaking to us today. We believe it's without error, and we believe it is authoritative in life, meaning when we are looking for what is truth and where we need answers, we don't have to Google everything and we don't have to chase the wind with Fox News or CNN. We have God speaking to us right here. 
And so we're going to actually open our Bibles tonight, because if you had to choose between hearing from Jordan Howell or hearing, not yet, or hearing from God, good answer. You know the easy answer, okay? We all want to hear from God. That's why we're going to open our Bibles. And you'll see we're starting a four-week series called Satisfied. And what we're going to be talking about this week and the following three, four things that people forever have wanted and longed for and they're looking for, love, belonging, joy, purpose. What does the Bible say about those things? How does God relate to love? How does God relate to our, our belonging, our joy, our purpose? That's where we're going. So tonight, we're going to talk about love. Everybody loves love, right? Awesome. All right. Aw, get a couple of us. Quick exercise for you. Uh, take a minute to yourself and write down in your own words what you believe love is. Ready? Go. In your own words, what you believe love is. You can type it in notes if you need to. Everybody can participate. All right. As you may know, the world around us loves talking about love, and the word love is thrown around pretty flippantly. Um, and as I've thought about the word love culturally, I think a pretty common word is acceptance. Can you use acceptance in their definition of love? Maybe, maybe not. This idea of like accepting people as they are. Um, love is moving towards people, seeing them where they're at. Um, many of you have probably also talked about love being an action. It's a little cliche, you know, love is not a noun, but a verb. Anybody? No? I'm just old? Sweet. Okay, I'm going to give you guys a, a quick tool here, and we're going to talk about love. So if you can't see, that's on you. you got to move up, okay? And if you were around last semester, I've tested these markers. They should work. Look at that. Okay. This is what we call a quadrant. I'm not here to teach you math. I'm here to teach you about what love is. So this top, this top line here, the vertical line, is truth. And so when I think about truth, here is a scenario I'm just going to drop you into. We're going to go dark real quick, so buckle up, all right? You go to the doctor's office. You haven't been feeling well. You get your height checked, you get your weight checked, they check your blood pressure, and, and a doctor says, hey, we need to run a few scans. And you say, okay, sounds good. They run a few scans, and here's the deal. You have cancer. Not fun. Not fun at all. So what truth would be is a diagnosis, okay? This is you have cancer. But... This horizontal axis here is grace. So I'm going to write grace here. So if the doctor walks in and says, you have cancer, goodbye. That's tough. That is high truth 
with no grace. And this is what we call condemnation. You have been condemned to death because you were just told that you have cancer and you aren't given a treatment plan. You're given a diagnosis with no treatment plan. Okay? Another possibility, same diagnosis, same situation, but the problem is no one ever comes back in the room. You're just left waiting until eventually you walk out. You don't know your diagnosis. You certainly don't know a treatment plan. There's no truth. You're kind of just left out in the air wondering, what's wrong with me? Is there something wrong with me? What's next? You don't know. This is called passivity. Okay. Third option. You go through the screening. Doctor comes back in. You do have cancer, but instead, what your doctor tells you is everything looks great. Your height and your weight are tracking, your BMI is healthy, and your blood pressure looks good. You're great. See you next year for your annual physical. This is called enablement. What it's doing is it's hiding the truth from you that you have a cancer that's killing your body. That's high grace. It's telling you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. And last but not least, you have what we would know to be the right answer, which is your tests have been run, you have cancer, and praise God, you have an amazing doctor who says, I'm not going to let this kill you. I have a treatment plan in mind. This is curable. We're going to tackle it together. Here's where we're going. You do have cancer, but we're going to tackle it. This is love. This is love. To receive a diagnosis and a treatment plan for your cancer is love. Does anybody want to argue with me on this? Can we all agree that that would be the loving thing for a doctor to do? Can I get a yes? yes. Love it. All right. We're on the same page there. Now it's time to stop role playing. Get your Bibles out. Here's where we're going. Ephesians 2. If you're not familiar with your Bible, that's totally okay. You don't have to fake it. You can use an index. The book of Ephesians is a New Testament book, so flip halfway. Keep going to your right. Uh, if you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, keep going. If you see Thessalonians, Timothy's, Hebrews, you've gone too far. Go back. Ephesians chapter 2. There's a man by the name of Paul. Uh, writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's writing to a group of people in Ephesus with this purpose. I want to give you a correct understanding of who God is and what it means for your life. Pretty simple. Who is God? What's it mean for you? And tonight we are specifically asking the question, in God's eyes, what is love? And how does it relate to us? So Ephesians 2 we're just going to walk through it a few verses at a time. In God's eyes, what is love? How does it relate to us? Here we go. Buckle up. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If you're asking yourself, what did that just say? Which you might be. I'm going to read a paraphrased version for you and let you just sit and listen to this. In the past, you were spiritually dead because of your sins and the things you did against God. Yes, in the past, your lives were full of those sins. You lived the way the world lives, following the ruler of the evil powers that are above the earth. That same spirit is now working in those who refuse to obey God. In the past, all of us lived like that, trying to please our sinful selves. We did all the things that our bodies and our minds wanted. Like everyone else in the world, we deserved to suffer God's anger just because of the way we were. Here's the thing, you guys. This cancer that I talked about and made you like role play out, we all have a cancer. It's called sin. And this sin is actually here to, to destroy us. We all fail to follow God perfectly. For some of us, that's pride. For some of us, that's anger. For some, it's unforgiveness. Others, it's greed, lust, gossip, drunkenness. Fill in the blank. Whatever your struggle is, we all, as the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, are considered dead. Spiritually dead, meaning we can't just have cancer and put on a Band-Aid of good works, okay? Putting a Band-Aid on when you have cancer does nothing for you. There's a few verses in Scripture I just want to read them off to you. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's pretty encompassing, right? Every single person in this room, we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're thinking, I know, I am a good person, James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point becomes guilty of it all. Have you lived a perfect life? The answer is no. Guess what? You're guilty too, with all the rest of us. First part of Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Meaning, as a result of our disobedience to God, our desire to go our own way and do our own thing, the wages, what we have earned for that is to die. To be separated from God forever. You have a fatal sickness. And I'm afraid far too many people in this room, you've had a bad experience with this. When you start talking truth, one of two things has happened, more than likely. You have been told you are perfect just the way you are. Maybe your mom or your dad told you, hey, you're perfect just the way you are. Just be you, do you, you are perfect. Or maybe you've been told by a pastor Christian friend, a street evangelist, that you're a sinner and you're going to hell. And you have just been condemned. This is dangerous. When we start thinking about what it means to either just be enabled or just be condemned, we are in dangerous territory. Because when love enters the equation, the question is, what if this person finds out who I really am? What if she finds out that my mom still does my laundry? What if he finds out that I like pineapple on my pizza? Right? Man, is love ruined? I don't know. This is the classic, like, first date meal. Ladies, you order what? Chicken fingers. 
chicken strips, right? Because it's like, I'm not going to order wings because then if my face gets all messy, what are they going to think about me? We're all self-conscious about if people find out who I really am, will they love me? And it's kind of fun and light when we start talking about like, oh my gosh, I have a zit. It's our first date. But what if it's like, what if this person finds out who I really am? What if they found out that I've had sex before? What if they find out that I self-harm? What if they find out that my parents are alcoholics? What are they going to think of me? What if I make a mistake? What if I let my guard down and show this person that I'm not perfect? Or if you've felt condemned and you have listened to this lie so many times that you're without help, the question you might begin to ask yourself is, what do I ever have to do to even show that I can be loved? It's this constant striving to like prove yourself. It's performance-based, and if this has been your experience to date, I just want to tell you, I'm sorry. Like you have, you have missed the mark, either by what has been done to you or what you have chosen to listen to, but you have only listened to half of the equation. This idea that you have a fatal sickness that you have sin, you have been separated from God is only half of the equation because the story continues in verse 4 where we read this, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great, what? Love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." So the first part of the equation, verses 1 through 3, love does not hide the truth. It gives you the diagnosis that you need. But the second part of the equation here is love extends immeasurable grace. So much more than a fatal sickness do you have a faithful Savior. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, tell us this. For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The rest of Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift. You guys, Jesus is not waiting for you to clean up your act for him to love you. You do not have to present yourself perfect to stand before God and have him look at you with approval. Jesus, while you were a sinner, knowing the mess that you are, steps down from heaven to earth, puts on human flesh, the God of the universe puts on human flesh, and here's what he does. He gives you mercy and grace. And I thought I really understood what this was like until I had a kid. 
See, our oldest, Blaze, was adopted. He came to us as a seven-month-old in June of 2020. And here I am holding this little kid, a baby, and guess what he could do? Any guesses? Could he talk? Could he mow the lawn for me? Could he throw my wrappers away? He can, he can do that now. It's super helpful. <laughs> no, this dude couldn't do anything. You know what he could do? He could cry. He could wake me up at 2 a.m. He could poop. He could pee. And every now and then he'd giggle. And guess what? Head over heels in love. Head over heels in love with this baby that could do nothing but cost me in many ways. And I just began to realize this is God's love for me. God isn't just waiting for what I can do for him. He doesn't need me to be perfect. Oftentimes what I offer God is a poopy diaper and a 2 a.m. wake-up call, (laughs) right? As if he's sleeping. But metaphorically speaking, that is like what I bring to God. And I read verses like this and I'm like, no, this is the God of the universe who extends to you mercy and grace. Mercy meaning you are not getting what you deserve. And grace being getting what you don't deserve. So if mercy is not getting what you do deserve, we have to look at 2 Corinthians 5.21 which says, for our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin. We talked about this earlier. What do we deserve because we're sinners? Because we have chosen to disobey God. What do we deserve? Anybody? Death. The wages of sin is death. Here's what we deserve. Death. Separation from God. The wrath of God could have rightfully been poured out on us. But instead... Jesus comes, he lives the perfect life without sin. And then what does he do? He dies. He dies a criminal's death on a cross in which not only did he physically die, the God of the universe pours out the wrath on Jesus. The wrath that you and me should have rightfully absorbed for disobeying God, Jesus takes on himself. That is mercy. But the story doesn't end with him dying. Because three days later, he rises again, defeats death, defeats sin, defeats Satan. And here's the rest of the verse. So that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So not only did Jesus come and pay the price for your sin, now in you placing your faith, In the finished work of Christ, when God looks at you, he doesn't say, you're a mess, look at what you've done, X, Y, Z, fix it. He says, no, when I look at you, I see the finished work of Christ on the cross. I no longer look at you and see your mess. I look at you and I see the perfect work of Jesus. That's amazing. That is amazing grace that we would get to receive a relationship with God. This isn't earning. This is receiving. That is grace. And again, I think I'm afraid too many of you have an improper view of grace. And here's what I mean when I say that. For some of you, you've never been extended grace. 
You've been told you're a failure. You see yourself as a mistake. You can't even give yourself forgiveness because all you see is brokenness. Maybe that's been your experience, but for some of you, the issue is you've been abusing grace. You're living your life using forgiveness as an excuse to reject and punish the forgiver. You're saying, yeah, Jesus forgives me, so I'm going to do what I want. And what you're actually doing is you're ignoring the brokenness that remains inside of you. And you're taunting Jesus' death. That is not grace received. Because here's the reality. Jesus really did die. And that means our sin is a really big deal. You might say, oh, it was just a white lie. I just cheated on one exam. I just dishonored one female in a relationship. I just looked at one image on a screen. Jesus had to die for that. And sin is damaging you. It's a cancer that resides in you and is trying to kill you. And so if we actually believe our sin is awful but our God is great, it leads us to our last point in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Love brings restoration. Love does not simply tell you, I forgive you. Love says, I see who you can be. I see the cancer that resides in you, and I want you to be healthy and whole. And this is what happens when we place our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that God would say, from the beginning, all the way back in Genesis, you were made in the image of God. You were made to enjoy a relationship with him forever. But guess what? You went your own way. I did too. We damaged the relationship. We cut ties. We thought we knew better. But God says, no, I'm not done with you. I'm going to run you down. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to chase you down. I'm going to live, die, and rise again so that when you say, yes, I now trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, I'm not standing before God and pleading my own case. I'm saying, Jesus, you and you alone, this is what you've done for me. Your love for me, not my love for you. This is how I stand before a holy God. Here's what happens. He makes you new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is dead, the new has come. You place your faith in Christ and he's like, let's go, let's get to work. We're working on you now. The things you used to desire, you're not going to desire them anymore. And guess what? It takes time. It's a process. But God begins to work on you and change you and fashion you into a God worshiper. And so I'm going to do one more visual for you. You guys got this? Cool. We'll visit it again in connection groups. So we'll come back to it. Um, there's a tool that we have used here at Salt Company several times. We didn't create it. We didn't invent it. It's called the Identity Triangle. Anybody heard of it before? Cool. We're going to visit it. So, guess what? Starts with a triangle. Weird. At the top, God. 
one corner. Identity. Identity. Okay. Other corner. Actions. So, here's how I lived the majority of my life until I was 21 years old. God is at the top, okay? My identity is at stake, and it's based upon what I do. So, if I do these things, maybe I will be loved by God. My thought was here. If I do the right actions... That gives me an identity to then stand and plead my case before God and other people. For me, that looked like trying to approach God based on my morality, my good works, my ability to measure up, to be a good student, to try hard in athletics, and quite honestly, living a double-faced life because in trying to be loved by other people, I was disobeying God. I was trying to hook up in romantic relationships. I was trying to be the life of the party and booze it up every weekend, multiple nights a week, to try and fit in and be accepted. I was the class clown, always wanted to drop the joke, timely, probably offensive, but people laughed. And I thought, maybe this is what it's like to be loved. Because I struggled in a really weird way, having two loving parents, I struggled with this idea of what does it mean to be loved because I thought it was about my performance. But then I met Jesus and I figured this out. How does, how does God love us? Based on our performance? No, it's based on his character. I look at a text like this and I say, But God, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us when we were dead, made us alive in Christ by grace you have been saved. God loves you. You are fully known. He sees the mess that you are and he says, and I love you. And he gives you a new identity to say you are now a child of the living God. You are fully known and fully loved. And guess what? That grace isn't cheap because he died for it. And so the response is, Jesus, if you would live and die in my place and purchase for me a new identity, here's what has to happen. I want to live for you. I'm going to live for that God. I'm going to pour out my life to obey him. Because a God that dies for me is worth living for. That is what it means to be loved. To have God look at you and to say, I love you. We're not talking a boyfriend or girlfriend. We're not talking a parent, one that's been present or one that has not been present. We're not talking siblings. We're not talking organizations, not even a church. We're talking about the God of the universe that would look at you and say, I love you. We know no greater love than that. So what does this mean for you? We all come in looking for love, probably in all the wrong places. But here's the reality. It's at your fingertips. 
This love is a free gift. It's grace. You can't boast in yourself. You boast in who? Jesus Christ. He has already lived. He has already died. He has already risen. And now this truth is before you to say, what are you going to do with it? Do you want to receive the love of God or are you going to continue to stiff arm him? And I think you have to deal with three different relationships. And I'm going to wrap this up. Okay. Number one, you have to deal with your relationship with yourself. Step one, you need to actually assess, do I understand that I am not perfect just the way I am? Am I going to actually recognize that I have brokenness within me? I am not perfect. And if you can do that, you also understand that you will stand before a holy God and will have to answer for that, which means with your relationship with yourself, you are recognizing I am not perfect and I am in need of help. Which leads you to point two, your relationship with God. What are you going to do with his love? You can do one of two things. You can reject it or you can accept it. And if you accept his forgiveness, guess what? The work's already done for you. You don't have to hop up on a cross and die and then take the wrath yourself. Jesus did that for you so you can accept his forgiveness and then move towards responding, which says, God, I want to know you. I want to look at your word. I want to see what you have for me, and I will follow you no matter what the cost. And then last, your relationship with each other. You see, the gospel is not meant to stop with us. It's meant to flow through us. And so maybe for some of you in this room, you need to start speaking the truth to some people. You know that something is going wrong in their life and you haven't had the guts to actually have a hard conversation with them. Your friend has a drinking problem and you're not talking to them about it. Guess what? That's not loving. You are enabling them in bad behavior. Maybe you have suicidal ideology and you're not talking to anybody about it. You're hiding truth from people that you claim to love. Maybe you need to start telling the truth to people. Or maybe you have been condemning and you need to start figuring out what it means to extend forgiveness. Because no one has ever offended you to the degree that you have offended Christ. You put him on a cross. Who's killed you? Nobody. You're still here. And to the person that has received much forgiveness, we get to extend much forgiveness. Maybe you need to extend grace. And I think a good place to start with any of these conversations is to just review what we've talked about tonight. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. This is the good news of Christianity. That we who once were dead and far off and helpless were met by God who lived and died and rose again in our place so that we could have a relationship with him forever. And if you can say, man, I recognize that to be true. I need to go have a hard conversation with someone. I get to start with, hey, I just want you to know I love you and I care about you. And I, as I've been looking at my life, I recognize that I am not perfect and I have gone wrong and I am in need of a savior and I just figured it would be loving for me to have this conversation with you. Or, if you have been condemning and unforgiving, that you can move towards someone. You can say, hey, I recognize that I am in desperate need of forgiveness too. 
and this is what happened, and this is why I've been harboring bitterness, but I'm free to forgive you because Christ has forgiven me. We get to speak the gospel to each other. It's best lived out in community, this connection group experience where we get to show up week after week, confess our sin to each other, which you're like, really, that sounds fun? Yeah, it actually is because you get to understand that you're not identified by your sin and your brokenness. You're identified by who Christ says you are. That is love. We get to speak it over each other. So um, I'm going to pray, and I want to pray that this love would actually radiate in you and through you once again, not just for a semester, but for the rest of your life. So let's pray. Father, we know no greater love than this, that you would send your son, Jesus Christ, to live and die in our place. What incredible mercy, God, that you would spare us from death, that you would spare us from separation from you, the punishment and wrath that we rightfully deserve because we ran away from you. But instead, Jesus, you extend grace, unmerited favor. We cannot earn your love, but thanks be to God we didn't have to. Thank you that you moved towards us, that you put on flesh, that you died, that you rose again, that you have set us free to live with you and for you forever. And God, I pray that this love would satisfy our souls in a way that no love ever has before. You would set us free to actually love ourselves because we're made in your image, that you would set us free to love you based upon who you are and what you've done, and that you would set us free to love other people, to speak the truth in love and to extend immeasurable grace because we have been extended immeasurable grace. So as we just meditate on love tonight, as we sing a couple more songs, God, would we grow in our affections for you because of your affections for us. We pray in your name. Amen.